A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Red Flags Give Bulls Wings. That's supplied by Gino Bedwell on Twitter. Runner-up Jeff O'Boyle. It's a tie for third. Michael says, perfecting the five-stop strategy... And Peter Jenkins asks, are you not entertained? I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Durumpitz. Good afternoon, Matt. Oh, that's very polite of you. Then I should say good evening, Spanners. And boy, have my fingers yet to recover from trying to cover every last detail of the madness that was Mugello. Oh, yeah, I forgot that you do a little post-race review for Summers, don't you? For summersf1.co.uk. Yeah, it'll probably be up in three to seven weeks. This was a wonderful Grand Prix experience to watch, Matt. And I think I called it in our Patreon Slack group at the beginning of the the day. I just had this feeling um, that we were going to get something different today. It's the kind of track that, you know, it's it's not, uh, it's an old school track. So a little bit different. The drivers perhaps driving in a slightly different way because they know the gravel's about to bite them. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get 20 seconds of action within the first 25 minutes of broadcast viewing. Um, And it certainly was something different. Yeah, well, what was amazing about it was to see the cars on a track like that with the gravel traps and the grass and and not nearly as much runoff as we're used to. I think it definitely affected how the drivers approached their race. And um, when we had every bit of drama we might have hoped for from yet another Grand Prix in Italy. I, I left the race. I'm skipping ahead to the end. But I left the race going, ooh, that's an interesting track. I would like to see... If we rolled that Mugello uh, dice another five times, what would we get five more races like that? Or is it like Baku, where it only really comes to life if you get a major incident at some point? You're asking a question that I would love to answer. I think Formula One should go back there. Maybe not every year, but remind ourselves that part of what made it the race turn out this way was because they had no data on this track before. So it was a bit of a new experience for everyone, drivers included. Mm. And it clearly showed 
on some of those restarts, didn't it? It did. And I just definitely left with a feeling of, hmm, that was kind of different. I, I want to try that again. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Oh, I bet you're scared that it's just going to be me and Matt here with you in the shed today. But no, we are joined by our driver pro, Bradley Philpott. Good uh, good evening, Brad. Good evening. I'm looking forward to talking about what I think will be regarded in future years as a bit of a classic. Yeah, the Magello classic and hopefully uh, just not a one-off, maybe something we keep coming back to. Uh, and um, we are also joined slightly later than us, an hour ahead, by Dane Christian Pedersen. Good, well, it's still good evening, isn't it, Christian? Good evening in the studio. I have uh, basically the same headline conclusion as everyone else. <laughs> it's uh, tarmac, curb, grass, or gravel, if you want. That thing is just, uh, that was just magic that turned everything on its head. And I'm so sorry that we don't get to uh, do a bit of a Dane focus today. I mean, we could, we, I'm sure we'll discuss the 15 seconds of, of action that K-Mag had. He, he, I mean, he gained four positions in the classification. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah, you should be proud of him. He was up to P12 when he got taken out uh, from P20. Exactly. So he was up eight positions when he got taken out. And both he and Grosjean had a fairly good car on the day. But he obviously, well, got taken out. And Grosjean, in that very first incident with Gasly, lost 60 points of downforce, which I now know exactly how much that is. Not that you care. No, that doesn't. I mean, when you, when you, sorry, sorry, Spanish, but when you watch the races by KMAG, you, you get really excited every weekend in the first two or three laps. And then that excitement just evaporates very slowly because the car just can't do anything. And it, uh, it's not, it's not a nice feeling. So I basically don't put anything into, to Kevin or the Haas car these days. So it's, uh, I look elsewhere for the excitement. Gotta say. So you're still hopeful, but not fully emotionally invested. That's our panel. I'm Spanners. That's Trumpets. We've got Christian and we've got Brad Philpot there as well. I tell you what, Matt, I want to get straight to, uh, or as quickly as possible, to the big incidents in, in this race. Um, but we can't skip too far over qualifying because um, that really did set the scene a little bit. If we've got a couple of points uh, to take out of qualifying and then the rest of the pre-race stuff will pick up as we go through the topics. Yeah, well, I think if we're taking things out of qualifying, it was that Renault was surprisingly fast and that low downforce did not work for mm. Ricardo. I think we're absolutely taking the fact that Albon started fourth behind Max and third as a thing. And then beyond that, it was that we had some kind of out of place drivers at the start of the race, which may have contributed to the original incident, thanks to the yellows brought out when Ocon got yeah. exuberant coming out of turn three and uh, took his trip through the gravel and, and ruined almost everybody else's last run, except for, um, I think Leclerc was so far back, he wasn't affected. And of course, the couple of drivers ahead weren't affected either. Yeah, so um, on that, I think Hamilton wasn't affected. He was able to carry on going. But I think he said something uh, along the lines of the wind was such that he wasn't able to improve his own lap. So I'm not sure how much of a difference it made to Bottas. But one thing um, is for sure, Brad, I just between, we, we, we give Bottas a lot of grief and I've got a feeling he's going to get a bit of grief today as well. We should slightly counteract that by saying in qualifying, 
he is like thousands off Hamilton on a regular basis. Yeah, I feel really bad for him because it does feel like if he was against any other driver, he'd be generally on pole because to run Hamilton that close week after week, and I think the last three races, it's been less than a tenth, you know, half a tenth, maybe 0.058 off of Hamilton. It's a really good effort. It just must be so frustrating for him that it's always the wrong way around for him. He's always the guy in P2. I'm just wondering if it could it be, could it be that those um, those Mercedes are so dialed in that the margins, even though they're small, c- could they in fact be just that that car will get you so far and Hamilton's performance difference over Bottas is just getting him that? Because if it was switching either way, you might go, oh, there's nothing in it. But it does always seem to be just Hamilton just that little bit ahead. I don't know whether you can say that. I think maybe it's it might be doing Bottas a bit of a disservice. I think he does a really decent job in qualifying. I think it's just that he's not as good a race driver as Hamilton. And unfortunately for him, that's where the points are scored. I think eventually when, when things like this just keeps on going in the same direction, he always starts out the season with uh, I've had my porridge and then just (laughs) slowly, slowly goes down the hill. And when he has have a race like last weekend in Monza where he, he sh- I mean, he should have done so much better. And Hamilton finished two places behind him after being, was it like almost 30 seconds behind the last car at one point halfway through the race. If, if that doesn't get to you, it, even if you say it doesn't, it does. Somewhere down below, it gets to you and that will just build and you will you will say the same thing every weekend. You will say, I'll do my best and I think I have a chance. But do you believe it? I think he believes it uh, less now than he did just a month ago. Right. For me, it's very simple. He's almost as good as Hamilton in qualifying and occasionally Mm. can do him one better, but he's just a couple of tenths of a percent down on tire management over the course of a race. And this is why we almost always see him unable to get around Hamilton and say what you will about him. I'm pretty sure he was leading the race when that first safety car was called. So he actually did what he had to do, but nobody was expecting a race with four starts. (laughs) Oh, we're getting towards the race. Good. I'm glad because I really did. I really did enjoy this race for all the stopping and starting. It was a, a lovely soap opera. Can I just mention uh, Kvyat in the qualifying? Yeah, of course. Where he did. Uh, I think it was his uh, second run in Q2, where he just went flat out. And he, I think it was in an interview, he said, uh, uh, "What did he say? He said uh, my balls are too big for this car." <laughs> uh, and I mean, that's just so we should appreciate Daniel Kvyat a little bit more, I think, <laughs> after this weekend. Yeah, there's a lot to appreciate. Um, a good qualifying from from Albon as well. You know, we're always saying that, you know, his, his starts, um, he's starting too far down. So for him to line up behind Max Verstappen, that's where he's supposed to be. And then a nice, Definitely. of course, a nice result for uh, Charles, Charles Leclerc as well. Um, even me, even me, who considers Ferrari to be the Death Star, and I genuinely wonder why people support them. For the thousandth race, Matt, I was I was hoping for at least like not humiliation. So to see them line up in fifth, eh, I was reasonably happy. I almost came in with it's a banner day for Ferrari. Both cars in the points at the thousandth Grand Prix. <laughs> what could have been better for them? But of course, looking at the race, we all know that it, yeah. it was not really a great race. They just got very, very, very lucky. And I'm certain didn't pay a lot of people a lot of money for the result that they got. Let's go to the race. 
I kind of like that little bit of a conspiracy theory that you try to sneak in under the radar, Matt. Now, normally, this is where I would go to you and ask where the race was won and lost. But well, we, we set the precedent at the beginning of this season that if there was a, a big ticket in, incident, if there was a box office event, which I think there was, we'd lead straight in uh, with that. So I, I think we've got to start with those incidents, incidences that set off the chain of safety cars and restarts. Yeah, I mean, and if we were going to have a story of the race, mm. it has to be that safety car restart on lap nine. That set up everything. And you're right, it was prompted by the Gasly incident. So the question is, which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, I think we just take it in order. But this this has to count as a, as a whose fault is this? Whose fault is it? Yay! We haven't actually been able to play a good game of whose fault is it. Uh, we haven't had many kind of incidents where people have taken each other out. Uh, but here, there's certainly been no shortage. We had the Gasly, Raikkonen, Verstappen, everyone, everyone incident that caused the first safety car. Uh, and we had a little ding between one of the racing points that I thought was Perez uh, and Sainz as well, turning him around. And then, of course, we had the absolute uh, Tashiki's Castle uh, tribute act that was the the safety car restart at the back. Uh, so why don't we start with the, the one that sparked it all off? Uh, Brad, uh, if we look at Gasly coming through the field, at first it looked kind of like... Uh, my first impression was that Raikkonen had moved over to the right, shut the door on a couple of cars and caused that accident. I've changed my mind a little, uh, but how did you see that? Okay, so I'll try and describe the way I saw it. You have Verstappen who had a poor start, yeah. a good initial start, but then a poor second phase because he had this power issue, which he said ultimately probably would have put him out of the race anyway. So he was at the front of this little trio. You then have Raikkonen in the middle to the left of the track approaching turn two, Grosjean on the right up against the grass, and Gasly who sees a gap, a kind of like a, a slight wedge, but it, there was a legitimate gap there for a while, and he drives into it. Gasly then moves slightly to the left because he's pinched in between Raikkonen and Grosjean. Yeah. Raikkonen moves slightly to the right. And I think on balance, looking at all the onboards, it's probably a bit more Gasly's fault because he arrived in this gap that the other two probably weren't expecting him to. If you look at the specific incident, um, you know, as it happened, once he was mm. already in the gap, it was maybe a little bit of Raikkonen, a little bit of Gasly moving towards each other. But whatever happened, uh, wh whoever's fault it was, ultimately, they all came off reasonably badly, although Raikkonen continued. Yeah. Um, and I'd say I'd probably put most of the blame on Gasly. And I don't want to because we're all you know, hailing him for the last week. But I think yeah. he was a bit optimistic that the other guys would have enough room to give him. And it was just a very small mistake that led to a big consequence. Yeah, that, that's, I'd say that's kind of the way I saw it in the end. And I, I, I wondered with Gasly, because in the gap he went into, it was eventually, at one point, it looked like he was going into a four-wide situation because there was a car over to the left of, of Raikkonen as well that perhaps made Raikkonen move to the right. It seemed very optimistic from Gasly. But I, I just wondered, you know, if you are a race winner, it's hard to get out of your head that you shouldn't be at the back scrapping with, uh, you shouldn't be scrapping with, Grosjean and Raikkonen you need to be up the front so if you see an opportunity to gain three places you know you're, you're gonna go for it and he's already on a bit of a, a bummer because Kvyat got through to Q2 and he was knocked out in in Q1 was he I think he was knocked out in Q1 uh, yeah start ended up starting 16th didn't he so Christian he's suddenly got that mentality of like yeah, no but I'm a race winner 
I'm I'm no way I'm out of position here. I should be I should be at the front. And I think that just might have carried him into a gap that didn't exist. I think you also have to put into the equation that uh, Mugello, which is, this is a part I really love about the track, which I mm. also think makes it a really great track, that the one place where you can overtake by corner one, you are, you actually have different lines available. So you can you can go tight curb or you can go st- st- on the long way around. And we saw a lot of overtakes on the long way around if you had the grip. And when you have uh, two cars going around turn one, things will happen after turn one. And as Bradley said, I think maybe just the fact that Max was in that sandwich, he wasn't supposed to be there. And there was yeah. just one car too many. So probably just a racing incident, in my point of view, uh, yeah, happening because there was suddenly an extra car. That's an interesting point, Brad, isn't it? Because we've got that, that cambered turn one. So, yeah, you could. So for the next t- turn two and three, you, you did have a situation where you had cars side by side. But why don't we see more uh, cambered turns? I mean, I've... I think the first time I went karting with you was in Aylesbury and there's an indoor track there. I've forgotten the name of it, but on one of their hairpins, they've got like a ramp at the end of the hairpin, which means that you can kind of go around the outside, even though it's super tight. You know, would would we have better racing if we had the odd corner like that banked and you could have multiple lines, much like Sochi turn three? Not that it that's banked. Depends on, it depends on your viewpoint. So you're talking about rogue racing in Aylesbury. Yeah. yeah, they have a really banked corner there. I think the tracks have been designed in more recent years to have off-camber corners as error generators to make it more difficult uh, for the yeah. drivers to actually navigate the corner and to prompt mistakes. But obviously, if you do the other, the opposite way around, like turn one here where there's a bit of camber in your favour, then it does allow for multiple lines. And like we saw today and in the support races, you can kind of either go up the inside and try and pass on the right or you can go around the outside and, and kind of hang it around there, knowing that the next corner is the opposite direction. So I prefer, obviously, the same, you know, like this turn yeah. one. It's much nicer to drive, um, but it's it's also easier to drive. It's nice to see a track where we do get that side-by-side action. That's part of what's really exciting to watch as a spectator. And importantly, I should report that Gasly's exact words after the incident were... I was sandwiched again. Again. Which suggests to me that this may be an ongoing weakness of his race starts in terms of picking. I get it. Like, it's hard. And really, we could also blame, I suppose, Honda or the sensor on on Verstappen's power unit, at least, for causing this incident. Because if he hadn't been going backwards, I suspect this incident never would have happened. Yeah, so I, mean, I think I think most of us though are putting the blame um, on Gasly. Um, I, I just think he's a little bit optimistic. But already we're seeing from uh, a track where on the our patron only stream we were worried, looking at like the one lap on boards, and we were going, hmm, "Where are they going to overtake?" And those fears kind of got dispelled almost like immediately in the race because not only do we have you know that turn one, which is a good op- op- uh, overtaking opportunity that keeps cars closer together into two and three. Uh, but we also had a long straight and it, and it turned out, you know, it's turned out that the toe and the straight has meant that you can get past. But what I love about this track, Brad, and I know we're sort of getting away from the whose fault it is a bit, is that it seemed like the sort of track where you needed to be very precise. So, yes, they weren't side by side around the whole lap and there wasn't deep braking zones like a Tilkadrome, but a better driver could use his skill to get closer and then overtake into turn one. So I don't know. It, for me, it, it felt like quite a racy track in the end. Yeah, I think 
what we all expected was it to be a bit processional, but because it was a difficult layout and drivers had to make the correct compromises with the direction changes and actually drive the track properly and Mm. fast, you didn't, if you made a small mistake, it really impacted you later in the lap and allowed other people to close up. And it just seemed to really, the racing was much closer together than most of us probably expected because of that. Yeah. So I want to follow up on that because it seems fast to us, but think about how fast they drive in qualifying versus Mm. how fast they drive in the race. And uh, for a lot of Mercedes race, they were six, seven seconds slower than they were in qualifying. So what's on the limit in qualifying is actually a pretty big margin of error at race pace. But at this track, even at that slower speed, the tiniest mistake could put you into somebody else's DRS zone or out of the race permanently. And that, that really helps with these modern F1 cars because you never get this sense that the race is entirely settled the way you do at the tracks with the bigger runoffs. I know we talk a lot about the tracks now, but uh, right. and, uh, and there's been a lot of uh, talk about tracks being too easy to drive or things like that, as, as Brad just talked about the, the corner one, where if you take, for instance, Barcelona, the last chicane, which is put there for that purpose alone, mm-hmm. just to maybe basically slow down the cars, make the grip disappear. Uh, and if you drive that in a car, it's you don't. It's it's so when you go out of the uh, the, the last chicane, you feel like oh, I could have done that better. Yeah. Whereas I imagine when you go through corner one in Mugello, you feel yeah, that was fast. And I think that gives a lot to the racing drivers and the racing experience in in total that the drivers feel they go as fast as they can, and that flowing experience also gives an experience. So. Uh, I'm not a driver. I can't talk for for it as an F1 yeah. driver, but you could feel that sense in the drivers, and I think that's a plus as well. I hope it gets back on calendar. Uh, so, Brad, I mean, w- one example of what Christian is describing, I think, is if if you look at like uh, uh, coming out of Maggots Beckett's onto the Hangar Straight and then into Stowe, you've got you know corners that are allowing you to like accelerate rather than just bring you to a stop like Barcelona, and then when you've got a flowing corner onto a straight, then you kind of that gives you an opportunity to outperform and out out uh excel what's the go pedal out accelerate your opponent <laughs> get on the power better earlier faster and give you a a nice attack down the straight i think i think this straight here was quite similar to like hanger straight yeah this was a really usefully long straight because it did provide that opportunity to kind of drag back up behind people even if you had you know, a, a near one second gap yeah. before the start of the straight. Generally, when you've got these fast sweeping corners, obviously your your downforce is affected a lot by the car in front and all the dirty air. But I heard some of the drivers mention this weekend that because you were kind of able to to move out, of, because there's lots of direction changes, you weren't necessarily following directly behind the car you were following for that long. Mm. So you actually were able to kind of face into relatively fresh air lots of the time gotcha. so yeah. they were able to stick a bit closer together than you generally expect on on these fast sweeping corners and they were able to stick close enough around that final corner that the length of the straight actually allowed the slipstreaming and the drs to work it's not just the smash bang wallop we are all seem to be like having a warm fuzzy feeling about the actual racing action we saw the qualifying action we saw uh, and the and the the actual racing apart from you know, the obvious incidents that we're talking about now. And there's just a quick one to to sweep up, which was, uh, aside from uh, 
Verstappen being put into the gravel trap with Gasly, there was also a bit of a tag with Sainz and a a racing point. I thought it was Perez. Um, it looked like the racing point involved kind of just got a little bit of an optimistic run around the outside and then squeezed Sainz, who was already committed to the turn three apex. Yeah, it was actually, I believe it was Stroll. It oh, was the definitely his most fault then. front running of the oh, of, yeah. of, of the racing points. And I think you left Grosjean out of that incident with uh, Gasly and Verstappen. Verstappen, sorry, my apologies, <laughs> Dutchies. Um, <laughs> because he was in the gravel trap and he was ready to get out of the car before they called the um before they called the 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 safety car and then he realized he could get back to the pits and get repaired so he carried on i was stunned that grosjean managed to continue because when you watch his onboard he hits the barrier pretty hard side on very very um you know it was a very much a side on hit but normally in that situation you expect something to have broken and i'm sure he had some kind of you know aero damage that matt probably knows about but he managed to not only hit the barrier 60 points of downforce loss. So he managed to hit the barrier, turn around, drive across the gravel around the edge with two tires on the grass and get back in the race and, and carried on. It was quite a significant hit to continue from. Again, just a short kudos to the track because all the gravel was there. It functioned like real gravel, but they were almost always able to get out of it again. So get back to the racetrack, even though you've been in the gravel. That is unique as well, I think. But I'm going to stop talking about Magella now. No, no, no. It's absolutely <laughs> fine. Honestly, it's a brand new track and, and the track has played a big part. Um, I will note that, that Grosjean is completely used to hitting stuff and then carry on, carrying on. He is almost inoculated to it. So if you just said to him, you hit the barrier quite hard, uh, Roman, he'd be like, oh, did I? And just carry on. And more about Roman Grosjean in a bit. On those gravel traps, though, uh, Matt, I, my instant reaction as soon as Verstappen was beached was he was trying to get out of it. And I was like, oh, my God, it's 1994 again. We've lost one of the best driver car combinations in the race because he's stuck in a bit of a sand pit. And I went, here we go. Everyone banging on about gravel traps. But look, it's, it's, it's beached one of the stars and he's gone for the rest of the race now. Yeah, he was gone for the rest of the race, but let's face it, he was probably gone for the rest of the race anyway. Mm. He admitted as much yeah. himself afterwards. He was only there because his car was incapable of even remotely pretending to be the same speed as all the other cars around him. Yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. But I, I think if we if we go to Mugello lots, um, if we go to the Tuscan Grand Prix lots, that might come up again. So I don't think this argument has been sort of furthered either way but my instant reaction was there's three cars in the gravel we've lost all of them it didn't i didn't realize grosjean had um had got away to start with and i thought oh brilliant we've lost three of our drivers out of a grid of 20 straight away uh it's less painful when there's a grid of like 26 or 30 but now formula one is effectively a franchise sport of 10 teams it shall be 20 teams for forevermore uh, and we'll cover that in a new show because there's no race next weekend so we will have a a normal uh, new show with me and matt um, I think uh, it's time to move on to the incident. Well, all I can say, guys, about that was bl- blimey. Oh, my goodness. I don't think I have ever seen uh, anything like that in F1 on a straight. Now, I replayed that back to my boy because uh, he was out and about and he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. It's the sort of thing. We tend to see in like a, a junior series race where somebody can't operate their clutch properly. Pretty sure we saw something like that early on in the W series 
when they were all struggling getting away on their clutches before they'd all got used to it. But to see it at the pinnacle of motorsport before they'd even crossed the line on a, on a safety car restart was something absolutely extraordinary. But I, I will give um, props to Roman Grosjean straight away. He eyed his opportunity immediately. The guy is a genius. Since 2012, where he mounted 17 cars uh, uh the first corner of Belgium, he's been looking for an opportunity to, to rid himself of the title of most stupid thing we've ever seen. And straight away, he's on the radio, Christian, going, no, this is the most stupid thing we've ever seen. Where'd you rank it? I think it was very stupid from his point of view. But uh, uh, I, I heard Lando Norris after the race say, you know, these things happen in every category. It's it's that kind of thing. And that's the way I feel about it because there's a lot of small things that played a part in this. Uh, one part was the safety car not turning off the lights until the very last corner or something like that. So people weren't really bunched up the proper way. Uh, and you had Bottas going really, which he was yeah. uh, allowed to do, but he was going very slowly. And then those two gaps between Latifi, I think, and, and Russell. And that was where the magic oh. happened, if you can call it that. Okay. I was a little bit scared the magic happened. I was a little bit scared for a second, Christian, that you were going... Or sh- I should call you uh, K-Ped, really. That's yeah, all you can dang- do that. Yeah, we can do that, K-Ped. Um, <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> I, I was uh, scared for a moment that you were going to say that no one was to blame. So um, if we're playing... Whose fault is it? Then we must assign blame. This is based on my terrible, terrible marriage, where if our house was on fire... Me and my wife would have to decide whose fault it was before we rescued our, ourselves and our children and our pets. Uh, Brad? I was just going to say that whose fault it was was the 12 drivers who were all written to by yes. the stewards after the race because um, most of the grid were, in fact, at fault, apparently, in this one. We, we've got a list somewhere, haven't we? Here it is. Uh, you posted it in our WhatsApp. That's very useful. So K-Mag, oh, that naughty Dane, top of the list. Uh, Kvyat was given a... Re- uh, is it a reprimand or just a formal warning? I don't know, even know what formal warning is on the scale of it's punishments. A, it's a new um, thing open to the stewards, so you uh, don't get any points. It's just like a, a big slap on the wrist. Don't do that again. Right, got you, if it's Ferrari. Got you. Uh, Nicholas Latifi, Albon, Lance Stroll, <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo, Perez, Boo, uh, Norris, Ocon, Russell, Giovinazzi, and, and Sainz. Matt? And that's why you have me on the show, because I took the time to go look up the actual safety car regulations to see what they might have been at fault for. And I can report to you happily the following. All competing cars must reduce speed and form up in a line. Mm -hmm. No more than 10 car lengths apart. Also, as usual, no car may be driven unnecessarily slowly, erratically, or in a manner which could be deemed potentially dangerous. So it's going to be one of those two things for each of the drivers. I did go back also and watch all of the onboards leading up to that incident. And I do have an opinion about who is absolutely at fault. Brilliant. So do I. Uh, But let's start with Brad, because you are the only one here on the panel who has done rolling starts and safety car restarts. So um, let's talk a little bit about what should have happened and perhaps what happens in other series uh, and the differential that might have caused some problems. So what should have happened is that the cars should have all been bunched up reasonably close together. Um, Nobody's speeding up or slowing down. They should have been going yes, at a reasonably constant yeah. speed. Um, if the stewards are to be 
um, taken seriously as well. They shouldn't have been directly behind one another, apparently, um, because they said that this was a contributing factor because uh, it meant they couldn't see what was happening further up. I actually thought they would want them single file, but according to the stewards' report, being directly behind the other cars was part of the problem. So maybe okay. slightly fanned out so you have a better view ahead. Yeah. But the key thing is going at a constant speed, not leaving gaps, and then trying to get the jump on someone because you're not allowed to overtake until you get to the start line, which is why Bottas was waiting until the start line before he actually accelerated because he knew nobody would be allowed to overtake him until that. That's, point. So that's yeah. what should have happened. So even even when uh, even when uh, Bottas and Lewis Hamilton ha- had got away, the rest of the pack still has to wait until their particular battle gets to the line. Whereas what it looks like happened is once Bottas and Hamilton and uh, and the clerk started to go away, the rest of the field kind of were like, no, we're on. And they saw big green flags. So from a racer point of view, Brad, if you're driving along and you see it's green, green, and you're going down the start-finish straight, isn't that your license just to go? No, but generally what you're expecting to happen is once the car in front goes, you're kind of expecting it to continue going. And because you don't have great visibility, you know, you are very low to the ground and you can't really see much further up the track. When everybody in front slows right down with this concertina effect, which is just one of those things, um, you know, when there are small gaps and larger Mm. uh, larger gaps further back, and the people at the back are eager to go, they will close up the gaps, the speed differential is huge, and then suddenly they find themselves with an obstacle in front of them because everybody realizes, oh, I've gone a bit early. I can't actually get past this guy until another few hundred meters on. So they all start to back up and that makes it worse and worse and worse the further back you are. Um, so mm. that's why this kind of constant speed and constant gaps is is what the, the stewards were saying should have happened. I have some suggestions about how this could have been avoided, but I thought maybe Matt would yeah, yeah. like to um assign blame fault he thinks it yeah signing blame is important okay um we'll put a pin in that about how to avoid this in future quickly around the panel then one word answer whose fault it is chat room you can join in as well uh i will go first latifi uh christian safety car oh brad ocon is that just (laughs) to upset matt go on matt Latifi, 100%. Oh, you and me agree. Oh, we should have consulted on this earlier. That's boring. Uh, we should have. <laughs> but it's yeah. obvious. Go on I then. posted Go the video in our, in our Slack chat uh, earlier uh, from Latifi's onboard, and he was leaving, never mind 10, he was 20 car lengths. At one point uh, on the last lap before the safety car came in, he was flat for three straight corners. As was Russell, by the way. I do feel like Williams had an issue last week getting temperatures into the brakes and tires and the drivers were told to try and fall back and go fast to sort of build up those temperatures as they got close to the start but as he came around that gap he was he was accelerating fully like the race had already started i don't know if he mistook the safety car line for the for the start line because that is i believe a regulation that has changed in the last year or two but regardless he was a hundred percent on it and just barely avoided Magnuson. Yeah. And the drivers ahead, they were speeding up and slowing down, but it was in relation to what they saw ahead of them. And within at least my judgment, sort of what you might expect with a car that can accelerate as rapidly as a Formula One car, where one minute you're right on the gearbox and the next minute it's five car lengths ahead. I have to say that was my take as well, Brad, because if you look at the onboards, Latifi basically overtakes a, a bunch of people. And when he jumps out of the way, the cars behind who are following him are suddenly greeted 
with a much slower car that that um, that Latifi was overtaken. Let's have Brad's take first, and then uh, Christian. Yeah. So the reason I said Ocon is because from some of the onboard I've seen, um, it it looks like he's probably the first car that leaves these gaps, and then he checks up, and then there's a kind of this. Um, this concertina behind him. But just before I hand over to Christian, I just wanted to talk about something that the chat are saying. Yeah. A lot of people saying this is Bottas's fault. Okay. And I just want to make it really clear that although I appreciate why it looks like that, because he was the one dictating the pace at the front of the field and weaving, he's allowed to do that. And his speed was pretty constant. And further to that, everybody should have expected it. He did yeah. exactly the right thing to get the best restart for his race. And I'm absolutely stunned that the teams weren't telling their drivers to expect this very situation where the front of the field wouldn't go until they got to the start line. Because it's what happened in the junior formula and it's it's what you would do to get the best start in his... So, so in defence totally of that... I totally agree. Yeah, go on. Sorry, go on, Christian. Sorry. Christian, go for I it, totally mate. agree about the bodice part because, uh, I mean, he dictates and, and that's just case closed for Bottas' mm. sake. But if you're if you're a race control and you have racing drivers spread over a field, you have the, 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 the front part going slow and you have uh, the mid part going full on through the last two corners, then you can't start the race because then you have an unsafe situation. So we have we have situations where you have a little bit of carbon or something on the corner somewhere and you red flag the entire <laughs> weekend almost and then you have this you have some cars going 60, 60 kilometers an hour and others going 300 and you still release them i think that's a major mistake then you should pick them up next lap give some penalties for for the ocon behavior and stuff like that yeah so this brings me on to how this could have been avoided mm-hmm. and just kind of to carry on what christian said there i've been in a lot of go-kart races where if the start isn't exactly as the race officials want as you approach the start line as in the gaps are too big people have backed off to try and get a really good run across the start line or whatever reason they just wave you around again and you Mm -hmm. have to do it again now i know it's a bit trickier because there's no safety car Mm. in front of you any longer but all they have to do is not turn the lights green if the officials aren't happy with the gaps at the back and it's a little bit on the stewards, I'd say, to the fact that they did turn the lights green when they have all the information showing them the gaps of the cars. So I think they might learn from this. And I think in future, they may well just keep the, the safety car boards or lights yeah. or whatever out. It would be strange, and in a strange situation, but it would have potentially avoided... Yeah, so we need, we need to sort of move on to where the race was won and lost. But I think, um, for me, the reason why a lot of people were caught out was simply because we are so used to safety car restarts being Lewis Hamilton leading you out, and he seems to do a very specific thing where, like, if it was Spa, he before the bus stop, he would close everybody up and then get his best launch that he possibly can, his normal launch that he would get out of the bus stop. And by the time you're at the final corner and the finish line, everyone's all spread out again. Now here, where the toe was so powerful, Bottas really had no option but to take it all the way to the line. So I think normally on a safety car restart everybody gets going. They kind of see a car disappear in the front. They go, oh, right, we're, we're all going now. Here, they were having to anticipate and, and knowing that the last possible second was coming. So it's going to be any minute now. And then they all crashed. Yeah, Matt, then Brad, and then let's move on. <laughs> so this very much reminds me of track racing, where in a rolling start, if you see a line to the front, you can accelerate all the way to the front. And if you don't get caught, you're just 
absolutely, you've got a huge advantage. But I think also, I think your point is right. In most races, there is a turn where I can accelerate. And no matter how close you are to my gearbox, yeah, exactly. yeah. I'm automatically getting an advantage onto that straight. But I think the the placement of the safety car line meant that Botas couldn't use that. And so we saw a completely different kind of a restart this time around. breathe and all that action happened with a grand total of about 20 seconds track time <laughs> and that leads us to the very start what, what are we 41 minutes into the show uh, that leads us to the start of the race matt okay so from let's go from that first restart we've got uh, valtteri bottas lining up um in first place is that that's right isn't it in the first restart bottas is first lewis hamilton is behind him tires yep. and brakes smoking ready for action Tell us from there, where was the race won and lost? Well, since you asked me so kindly, um, it absolutely was won at that point, the entire race, by Lewis Hamilton, breaks a smoking, just right round the outside of Botas in turn one. That was pretty much the whole thing. We did have the interesting wrinkle of Alex Albin deciding to make his race very interesting by dropping back to P7 just to see what was <laughs> happening back there. Yeah. And that played its own particular role um, because it did put uh, Ricardo behind Stroll. And for a long time, this looked to be everything in the battle for the third podium position. Mm -hmm. So as we as we entered that race, primarily you had Hamilton ahead of Botas. You had everybody on a new set of, of tires because now we've red flagged the race. And you've got Albon down in P7 having to work his way through some slower cars to get, and by slower cars, I mean Perez. Sorry, I hate to tell you, I but know, yeah, I Perez. Know. I know, I know. Um, and, and then a little bit of a chaos further at the back. I'll just add that uh, I tried to watch Hamilton's way to approach that restart. And those smoking breaks, of course, I think they do something to him mentally. But this is this is where he, he excels, I think. This is where you see the champion he is. When when uh, I think it was one lap after the restart, he was 1.255 seconds ahead of Bottas. And a few laps later, when the DRS was enabled, he was 1.7 ahead of Bottas. And Bottas liked this track. Mm. So if you can do that on a, on a fresh restart, I mean, what do you do with that? You, oh. I mean... Yeah, and I, I mean, we've criticized uh, Bottas, Brad, haven't we, on starts here, and... Uh... What did you think of the defense offered? Yeah, so I was... Brad. I was, sorry, sorry I, I was a little bit um, critical of Bottas when I was ch chatting in our WhatsApp group. I said he just offered no defense at the first corner. Yeah. I think in on reflection, Hamilton had the move done, really. And in all the other moves we saw where drivers went around the outside into that first corner, if you were a certain distance ahead, the driver on the inside was pretty powerless. It, it's a bit too tight to try and stay side by mm. side if you're three quarters of a car back. Um, but even so, Hamilton just has this, his, his attitude is, I will get in front of you and I will drive away from you. He just has this absolute belief that even on a Bottas track, like Christian said, Bottas really liked it here. Mm. He was fastest in every session except the one that mattered. Um, and Hamilton just seemed to have the... Uh, you might just have to yeah. hold down your push to talk a little bit longer into your sentence, Brad, there, just cutting out before the end of your sentences. Uh, trumpets. 
Yeah, I just wanted to jump in with that. Those smoking breaks were also evidence that he had done a very, very good job of getting his front yeah. tires and <laughs> yes. his brakes up to the operating temperatures, which offered him a really nice advantage into turn one, um, where they were very kind of necessary after that long run. So again, it's just, it's the little things. Uh, but we did see him absolutely lose pole position on the first start. So yeah. I'm wondering if maybe there was something with that particular grid spot that made it not ideal to begin from. Okay, look, we can say that. We can say that. But th there's um there's a truth that I think people are starting to dawn on now. But when I was saying this last season, beginning of this season, uh, people are struggling to get their heads around just how much faster Lewis Hamilton is in race pace than Bottas. We would love it to be uh, a Rosberg-Hamilton-style battle. And I, and I just don't think it is. Because when, when Bottas is ahead, Lewis Hamilton is all over his gearbox. But the second Lewis Hamilton is, is away in front, Bottas can't hang on. And if he is close, it's because Lewis Hamilton is managing that gap. And the evidence today, Trumpets, came towards the end of that stint when Bottas is talking about tactics. I want the opposite of Hamilton. I'm still going for it. I'm still going for the win. And Hamilton's response is to just at will... At just the time when Valtteri Bottas would be needing to hammer time, if you like, to make an undercut work, at will, he pulls out five seconds. And then by the time they get to the pit stop, it's nearly eight seconds, that gap. And that just shows you how much more Hamilton had. So now we get to a very interesting part of the race. And I'm glad you brought this up because when Bottas was pitted and he was pitted Bottas. before Hamilton, which is in contravention to Mercedes standard strategy, one, yeah. I will point out. Yeah. His left front, I think, one of his tires was at 0%, according to Mercedes. While <laughs> that was going on, they said to Lewis, how are your tires? Um, and Lewis was like, my tires are fine. So either he had some kind of incident that significantly and in a negative way affected one of his tires, or what you're really looking at is the difference between the two is Hamilton can simply manage the tires better enough that he has this baked in advantage over the course of a race. But it's just one that doesn't show up nearly as much over the single lap qualifying, which is where we generally see Botas run him closest. So tell me what you guys think of this. I feel Botas was clutching at straws a bit in this phase of the race. He knew he wasn't fast enough to just stay with Hamilton yeah. and, and stay close enough to force something to happen. So he started off by saying, whatever tires Lewis uses, give me the opposite. He then tried to do another thing, which is force his own undercut by saying that the tires were dangerous. I've got a really bad <laughs> vibration. Yes. So, you know, give me the <laughs> undercut. And I, I thought it was a little bit optimistic of him to think he could kind of pull a seven second undercut in one lap, but he was trying to do these two things. He was trying to, have an alternative strategy to Lewis. And he, he, I mean, maybe it was genuine, but it seemed like he was also pushing for them to bring him in early and do this yeah. thing, which is in contravention to Mercedes' ordinary strategy. And neither of them worked. Obviously, he then couldn't do the opposite to Lewis because the team were always going to just put Lewis on whatever the correct tyre was because he <laughs> was coming in second. Um, so, yeah. Did you think he was, he was kind of trying different angles here because the speed wasn't there up front? I find it a difficult question to answer because I didn't see the front tires when they came off the car. But if they were really that burned, 
then yeah, he was trying to have his cake and eat it too if he wanted an opposite strategy and also to be pitted first. That said, the undercut did work. He was eight and a half seconds behind. And when he came out, he was only, when Lewis came out of the pits, he was only six <clears throat> seconds back of him. So he gained a pretty significant amount of time Score. with that undercut. And that, fascinatingly enough, is also how we saw Daniel Ricciardo pass Lance Stroll. Yes, and if Bottas had been on the gearbox of Lewis Hamilton, like Lewis Hamilton likely would have been on the gearbox of Bottas in this race, that would have worked. Christian? I think uh, Bradley's theory is uh, is interesting. I didn't actually think about it that way, but if I was Bottas, I would probably try something similar because the undercut here was supposed to be really, really huge. So if you could just maybe get three laps undercut or something like that due to the tire, you could maybe... <laughs> mix things up a bit. I'm not sure if that's the way Bottas thinks, but I don't mind it. I think it's, uh, I welcome it. I hope he thinks like that. I, I don't know who was doing the post-race interviews, but, um, you know, the question to Bottas, he'd already, Bottas had already answered, you know, oh, I just need to find some pace. I just need to do this. I just need to do that. And whoever it was really stuck the knife in was like, yeah, but exactly where are you slower? And it's like, well, the obvious <laughs> answer is, you know, he's slower everywhere. And I think we've got a clear difference in uh, in the way they manage the tyres. Like, very, very clearly, in the first phase... Oh, I'll talk to Matt here. In the first phase of races, Bottas is doing something different to Hamilton in that he is always having to pit earlier and Hamilton could keep going and going and going. So towards the end of the race, there is never a situation where Bottas has any kind of advantage. Whatever he does, Hamilton has got an answer for him. And I, and I feel quite sorry for him. He's obviously trying to box clever... But if he goes light, low, Hamilton goes high. Yeah, and, and I'll point out merely the fact that he was both trying to get the undercut and guarantee himself an opposite strategy to Hamilton shows that it's not yeah. like he's given up, per se. But it's very clear that in this car with these tires, and especially with these track temperatures, because they were up in the mid-40s today, he just cannot keep the tires um, in the window and keep them from degrading as well as Hamilton does. Yeah. Hamilton is a master at this point at managing these tires. And, and we really saw this emerge when he was battling with Rosberg. Um, he just at a certain point, he began to be able to go longer and he was using less fuel, mm. like, like his ability to get to maintain the momentum of the car around the circuit and take as little as possible out of it is really second to no one as far as as i'm concerned brad is there a fix to this is there a fix to going well hamilton my teammates using his tires much less than me i will also just use my tires less or is it a case of if bartash was to conserve his tires he would just be dropping further and further back the field i get the feeling that bartash is is pushing he's really pushing i just think it's as simple as sometimes in sport there are better and worse performers yeah, and okay. At the risk of sounding mm -hmm. just ham fosty, and I'm not, I'm, I'm a fan of the sport. I, I admire how good Hamilton is, but I'm not like a massive fan. But I just think he's better. And it doesn't matter how hard Bottas tries. Mm. If the driver who is better than him also tries, then he's going to end up faster. And that's what we see played out year after year. Some of the chat are saying Hamilton needs stronger teammates. Otherwise, his championships w won't be valued as much. But I'd say who, you know, his rookie season, he had the double world champion against him and he got the better of him. He, it doesn't matter who you put up against him. Bottas has won lots of championships on the way 
to Formula One. Mm. He's demonstrated in his other team with Williams that he had the better of a previous Hamilton championship rival in Massa. He's, he was really good and warranted his seat at Mercedes. And he's just not, there aren't many people as good as Hamilton. It's kind of a. I understand why people get tired of uh, listening to pundits like us talking about <laughs> Hamilton all the time. I mean, it must be horrible having to listen to that all the time if, if you root for Leclerc or, or someone who's not Hamilton. But I think if you root for the sport in general, you have to you, you have to embrace this because right now we experience history. In next race, he will be uh, equaling Schumacher right on race wins, and he, it's just—I mean, this is just amazing. I followed Hamilton from his uh, late go kart day, go kart days, and this guy is—he uh, deserves it, I think. And with that, no more Lewis Hamilton for me. <laughs> um, Jerome Bonds in the chat says there is a fix if Bottas was Max Verstappen, and I honestly think that is probably the only fix. Very true. Trumpets and. That's what I was going to say. There is one matchup in same cars <laughs> that we all really would want to see at this point, and it would be Max and Lewis in the same car on the same track. But for that very reason, I don't think Mercedes will ever, ever permit it. <laughs> it's going to be one or the other. So come on, Red Bull. Let's, let's, let's get this done and see a real battle for Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's much more likely is Lewis Hamilton uh, continues his domination of uh, this season. And next, uh, and then you'll have the era of Verstappen follow on after that. That seems to me the the most likely proposition at the moment for that uh, particular matchup. So just to round off the the one and loss between the Mercedes drivers, um, not skipping ahead too far, but he gets the golden opportunity on the second restart. And I, for, I don't know how difficult it is to start a Formula One car, but for whatever reason, he doesn't get his car off the line. And, and that is, you know... That is looking a gift horse in the mouth. I don't know how much skill or luck was involved in that, but you've got to say, Christian, he's had a golden opportunity there, Bottas, to get the toe, do what Hamilton did, 
do him into turn one and go and win that race and, and shut a few people up. But as far as I know, the uh, and Bradley, you may help me here. You probably know a bit more about this than I do. But the 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 clutch, you you actually you you put some. Um, how do you? Say? It it works a little bit like a tire. The more you use it, the more it uh. it gets looser, or uh, and you don't really know how much each time. So I think with this this many restarts, uh, that could probably be a factor. Trumpet. So I just want to I just want to point out that we moved on to the third of the one and lost points, which I know, is I was, still yeah. going off. Yeah. And talking about the restarts, uh, your point about the clutch is interesting, but I think even more germane is that this was lap. 43 of a 59 lap race so the cars themselves are much much lighter which means that all of the calculations the engineers did for an absolutely full car and setting the bite point in this and that and the other are now not entirely as applicable and it does play a bit more i think into driver and engineer skill at this point so I, I think, um, look, I think we need to sort of move down into that midfield now because there's a, a really good battle shaping up for that third podium position with Daniel Ricciardo, Lance Stroll, Alex Albon, and then I think we've got Perez and Norris behind. And I, I genuinely, all of those guys were, were in the running for a podium position at, at one point or another or may have been with some attrition, which we did get. Now, at this point, before the, 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 the second red, red flag, Matt, Daniel Ricciardo... He looks like he's comfortably holding off Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll is looking great. The, that racing point, what they've done to it, seems to be working. They've got lots of genuine pace. Uh, the lad is is sticking it lap after lap, but he's not making any progress really against Ricardo. So he's looking for all the world like a Ricardo podium. Sorry, I'm so tempted to reply. They made it look even a little bit more like a Mercedes, but I'm not going to say that. It was working. They gained at least three tenths with the... Yeah. the um, on with the, a massive update they brought to the bodywork. Okay, so I was watching the lap times because obviously I wanted to see uh, how Perez was, yeah. was squaring up. And in the first stint, you know, it, it did look like Perez was like a good seven-tenths off just on race pace. And that was without Leclerc in front of him. This is when he had clean air. Um, it was a little bit less on the second stint. But let's let's say, without too much argument, that Perez is generally a faster race pace driver. If Perez had no damage or, or nothing else going on, that probably does show there was a significant upgrade because Perez didn't have those aero parts. You're listening, everyone. He didn't have the aero parts. It's so unfair. Uh, but yeah, it looked like it was a good bunch of upgrades anyway. Uh, so yeah, it, yeah, that bodes well for Racing Point going forward. But yeah, it, it just feels like Ricardo was in a pretty prime position. And I, I wasn't seeing Albon about to go and mug both of them at that point. No, you, you weren't. Um, and I'm developing a theory about Albon and this car. But as we said, once Ricardo pitted and got the undercut on Stroll, Stroll stayed out. They kept him out because they thought that Kvyat might block Ricardo enough to let them make the time back. But that didn't work. He was right by. And it was very clear that the Renault, whatever its other faults might have been, was actually working pretty good on the circuit on this day. And And it was fast. So he had the position. Stroll was chasing. And then we come to lap 43. And kaboom, kind of like Fiat at Silverstone, off goes Stroll with what looked like, at the time, a tire failure. But post-race, they said they were also examining the possibility that either he maybe hit some debris or there was maybe even a suspension failure on the car. It's, mm. It wasn't determined, to my knowledge, an exact cause of why he had that big off. Yeah, but... but 
we can probably say it, just, it wasn't like out and out driver error. He's not. He's not dropped no. it, Christian. No. So earlier in the race, there was uh, there was a slow mo of a car losing a bit of debris in that corner exactly, and that debris just landed uh, just about the edge of uh, the curb and the gravel between those at a, a point where his his tire went kaboom. I'm not sure if it could have been anything but that, but one car did lose a bit of uh, of car just around there. And uh, it looked horrendous. When you saw uh, the plume of smoke, I have to admit, I'm going to admit to you guys that I I just assumed that he'd binned it. And I was like, oh, look at that. Stroll's done it again. But when when he was, uh, obviously we've seen the replay, definitely not Stroll to blame. Uh, when he was in the barrier and I saw the back bent, you know, like like it was a wagging's fishtail, Brad, and I suddenly like the attention turned. It was one of those where you're like, "Please move! I, I want to see. I want to see your head move. Please, please." Whew. Yeah. So, firstly, I'd love for you to repeat what you actually said when you first saw that an incident happened involving Stroll, because it was quite entertaining. Before, you, before you then obviously. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, you heard um, my emotional voice set. note <laughs> in, in the Mistapex WhatsApp yeah. group. We don't need to share that. But I agree with you. Yeah. When you saw the car, the shape of the car, it it gave you a good idea of how it had hit the barrier and with what kind of force. And, and he stayed in the car for quite a long time. So it did, uh, it did make you worry initially, but then he got out quite fine and the car was kind of craned away completely on fire for a period. And, uh, and he, he was, that was actually one of my favorite parts because they not only had the car on fire and there was flames and that's always exciting, but, but when they got it down on the ground, they were ripping the bodywork away and just shoving fire extinguishers in there and blasting away. You could see the entire <laughs> engine, how the cooling was laid out. It was just awesome. I mean, uh, not if you're racing point. It was expensive <laughs> if you were racing point. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll to, to wrap up racing point. Like we'll put aside that I am I am really in a huff with you guys at the moment, Otmar at all. Yeah, like I'm in a super like I'm foot stampy grumpy with you guys at the minute. All right, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while to get over that. Um, but to wrap that up in a bow, they looked really strong. Perez, uh, again, though, uh, for me, uh, not aggressive enough on the start, cost himself places on the line, finally got a good start off the line on the second restart. Um, but upgrades aside, I, I want to see him better off off the, off the line. Matt, what's, what's tickled you? Uh, M. DeLorean in the chat just simply quipped, flaming point. Flaming point. There we go. Well, they've been called worse this season, haven't they? They've been called worse. Uh, so that really leaves the battle for the podium uh, effectively uh, between uh, between Ricardo, Perez and Albon. I think um, Perez very quickly, you know, even though he got a great restart, um, it looked like he was going to fly backwards. But uh, it really was between Renault and, and Albon. And I, I felt for no... No, you were skipping the really important bit about the restart, which is on the restart. It's not just that Botas did not get in front of Hamilton. It's that Ricardo, for an entire lap, got in front of Botas. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, the yeah, end yeah, of yeah. his chances to yeah. win the race right there because we're, we're at lap 43 of 59. They they were originally going on the medium tires, but they were switched to the soft tires when everyone was red flagged instead of safety card. And so it was everything for ricardo to get around and in front of bota now in bota's defense unlike certain other drivers he was right back by the following lap at the end of the straight but i think you know based on what alvin reported about getting around ricardo that might have been just enough to take 
the little bit out of his tires he would have needed to really have a run at Hamilton. And it, it wasn't a close run thing from that point on for the lead. Oh yeah, that was worth clarifying. I got mixed up with who Perez got the, the jump on. Christian? I just want to highlight the, the overtake from uh, Grosjean on one of the Ferraris. I think it was Leclerc into turn two, which was on the outside. Uh, yeah, so he had the yeah. inside on the next corner, which just... Mm. <laughs> that tickles it. So this is, this is fascinating because he, um, uh, he, Grosjean got sent around and was it Leclerc too, to unlap themselves? Yes. Before yeah. the rest of the field was sent out to do the formation lap and come back to the grid. So the two of them had way more temperature in their tires and in their brakes. And they took maximum advantage. Uh, I think it was what with the, he, Grosjean was up to P8 from P12 on the start. Or, or maybe it was he and Vettel. I, I can't remember. Yeah. But anyway, they, they completely mugged the people who did not get to do that extra lap. But it's an interesting thing that the FIA requires the cars to all run the same mileage if the race is stopped like that. And so that's why we saw them go around for the extra lap. But it did give them a big advantage at the start. And that's a shame, isn't it? Because uh, Russell Russell again cursed Brad to, to not score a point. Someone in the chat said we, we, weren't, we weren't giving Russell enough credit for for his good performance today. He did he did seem very aggressive and, a, and, a, and on it and on pace. Yeah, Russell had been doing an excellent job up until that point, and Vettel actually specifically mentioned him in some post-race ah, interviews, interesting. Um, saying he felt sorry that he'd finished in front of Russell and effectively <laughs> taken his first point oh. away. And it's it's like Matt said, the cars behind just had really hot tyres um, at the at that restart, and they wouldn't have been anywhere near him if it wasn't for that situation where they get this wave around. So it, I feel bad for him, and I'm sure he sees it as a big missed opportunity. But he did a, a really awesome job and he was in the right place to take advantage of everybody else's problems. It's just one of those things you can't really fight against the fact you've got cars on one lap hotter tyres when your car's been sat in the pits for the last 20 minutes or half. And on the well feed, there was, uh, we followed uh, Russell uh, while well, I think he was uh, trying to catch up uh, Fedel. Uh, just at the end of the laps, uh, at the end of the race. And he was just so on it. He was just so, you could just tell he was doing qualifying laps again and again. And I mean, I really take my hat off for that guy because he's got the machinery for a P20 and he just races like a P5 car or something like he's, that. He's in exactly the right place, is George Russell. I know for him it must be frustrating. I'll bet he have, he'll have wanted to have been uh, in Bottas's car this year or for next year, but he's in the right place. He, he's he's soundly beating people. He's now in a Williams that is just now. He's had his 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 training at the back, very back of the grid. Now he's ahead of all the Ferrari cars. Now he's dicing with the Ferraris. I think he's in the right place. And if this situation continues next year, he can really, really, really build his stock. There are still some people, you know, who are like, oh yeah, but it was uh, Robert Kubica got the only point that season. Oh Latifi got the only point. You know, there's people there who try and, you know, er- erroneously point to these outliers and say that that shows that Russell has somehow failed. You, you are, you sound stupid when you say that, frankly, where you, you sound intellectually dishonest because George Russell has, uh, you know, on pace and in, in race trim has taken his, his teammates so far to the cleaners and he can keep doing that for a little while before he has to come up against Lewis Hamilton. And who knows, maybe Lewis Hamilton retires before he gets his big shot at Mercedes and he's the big guy, you know, on campus. The, uh, yeah the big name on campus, as it were. So George Russell, uh, for me, uh, in the in the right place. Um, but if we look at another one of the newbies, Matt, should we talk, let's talk about Albon, the eventual podium winner, 
who ended up above Ricardo. So I'll, I'll, I'll prefix this by saying I feel very sorry for Ricardo. I feel like the save, uh, stroll going off robbed him of his best chance to be there in a podium place at the end of the race. I think, is that fair, Matt? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, he had demonstrated his ability to defend with that car. And if Albon had not been granted a new set of tires, I'm not sure he would have had the pace to get round him at the end. That being said, Ricardo himself had no bad feelings at all no. because he ran a lap in second place near yeah. the end of the race. And when Albon passed him, he was like, you know, I don't feel bad. It wasn't I made a mistake and Albon got ahead of me. Yeah, I got I got way ahead of him. He said, but, you know, if you looked at the closing speed of the two cars, it was clear that the Red Bull, when it starts to run low on fuel and if it's on reasonably fresh tires, is an entirely different car than the one he had at the start of the race, at least in his mm. hands. It was just magic. He put it where he wanted to. He caught and passed anyone that was in his way. And I thought for a minute that really he might do Botas as well. Yeah. But that was before Botas dropped down into the 119s and, and Albon, like, I was like, okay, yeah, well, there went that. It was exciting for a second. So uh, we can talk about Albon, right? So I'm going to focus, focus, camera, camera one, focus on me for a second. As soon as Albon got, got, you know, crossed the line in third place, I had about 700 people get in touch with me. And even one person here in the chat room saying, is Spanner's going to eat crow now that Albon got a podium? Is Spanners going to eat his words? What say you now, so-called Spanners? And loads of people ho have come at me. I'm, I'm not surprised, obviously, uh, for that kind of reaction. He's a very popular driver. Um, but I, I will say to the people who, who think I'm hating on Albon that I feel like what I've done is called out bad results when I've seen bad results. And when we've seen consistently uh, bad results or results that consistently aren't in line with a driver in the second best car i've called that out but that doesn't mean i'm hating on him and that doesn't mean i have to eat crow now he has got a podium and that was a great result today that is the result that he absolutely should have got today in the second best car with his teammate out on lap one the only reasonable position you could expect alban to finish in was third and he did it he went the long way round. he had a little bit little bit of help from from one safety car he lost out a little bit on one restart. He went the long way around, but he made it. Fair play to Albon. I will make this clear. I am most critical on this show of the drivers that I like. And believe it or not, I am most critical and I, of, of Hamilton, Perez, Albon, uh, well, and Stroll as well, but that's an outlier. But I have received lots of complaints from Hamilton fans that I'm too harsh on Lewis Hamilton. I have been a, an Albon fan since he's came in, come into the sport for various reasons, and I've wished him well. But when the results haven't been good enough, I've called them on that. But today, Brad, how good a result is that for him? From a personal point of view, yay, you got your first podium, fantastic, well done. But it, that is the result we should have expected in this race. Yeah, I'm not massively um, enthusiastic about this podium for Albon. It almost Hater. feels like a, yeah, he's he's got the podium, but it was never in doubt that, in the second best car, if some people ahead of him, like his teammate, were out of the race and a restart bunched all the cars right up and he had a Renault to overtake and he had a faster car and fresh tires or whatever. I don't think it was ever in doubt that he was capable of doing that. 
it's only circumstance that has kind of prevented him from getting that kind of lucky podium in the past where similar things have happened and the field has bunched back up. But if you, if you look at it on pure performance, he was still half a second off his teammate at this race. He just happened to be at a track where half a second off max meant he was still up near the front. I think P4 and qualifying. Um, he then had bad starts and you can argue why that was. I think yeah. Van Jean was saying that the, the Red Bull just gets bad starts, yeah. but I don't think we always see Max dropping back. I know today there was an engine problem, yeah. but it doesn't always just drop back at the start. And ultimately that podium was Ricardo's. So it's not like he he really, he just did what he what you'd expect him to do. And again, I don't want to seem like I'm just bashing Albon. I think yeah. he's he's decent, but this was just the same performance as at every other track. It's just the circumstances allowed him a podium with it this time. But that exact same performance at a different track was a P7. So that's why I'm not that excited. Uh, okay, Matt, come on. Lay, lay some lay some adulation on the boy. Come on, put put us down. Make us eat crow. Right. So thing number one with regards to qualifying, half a second off max, even at a track that has a fairly short lap. <clears throat> for people who want to argue percentage of lap time with me, <laughs> it represents a big step forward for him in terms of qualifying, and absolutely matches anything that Gasly turned in last year when he was in this seat. Thing number two. We're all looking at his second start, uh, where he dropped to P7. But let's remember, at yeah. his first start, he was P4, which was his grid position. And it was only Leclerc getting a really nice run up the inside that was in front of him. And that was not going to last very long based on the subsequent Ferrari performance. So had Max maintained his position, he would have been within a lap behind Max. So we didn't really get to see at the start of the race what he would have brought starting there because, of course, we had the, the, the safety car restart and then we had the red flag subsequently that led to him dropping back. But what I will say is that the single and sole reason that Albon was brought up to this team was exactly the position he was in, which is when the laps were dwindling and the overtakes had to be made, he was someone who will make those overtakes. And that is the exact same reason we saw Gasly put down to the lower team. He's literally doing exactly what they expect of him. Does he need to get closer in qualifying? Well, yes, Brad, you're absolutely right. He should be no more than about three tenths off at most, which has always been sort of my measure of, okay, I'm reasonably close to my teammate. I don't think there's any doubt that uh, we have uh, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen in their own category somehow. I think most people see sees it like that because they are just on another level. Mm. And then you have all the really fastest guys in the world. You have Ricciardo and you ha- I think Albon is part of that group as well. Mm. So when I see him race, the, way, the how he puts his car, where he puts it, where he, where he sees the, the gap, and how he take advantage of that gap. I, I just really, it, it's a pleasure to my eyes to watch him race. And uh, it's and it's very aggressive uh, uh, way he does it, I think. But then he comes on the radio and goes like, hello, ladies, uh, Sunday night, how's your love life? And he, I mean, <laughs> just, he's a nice guy. He's very humble and he totally deserves it. And I like watching him race. Yeah, I, I think universally from the Missed Apex crew, we're all fans of Albon, which is why I've, I've, I've taken a bit of exception to people suddenly kind of painting me as an Albon hater. I would want to see him uh, being consistently at least P4 on the grid uh, and finishing, you know, third or fourth in, in the races picking up the odd race win here or there. Uh, 
And if we're not seeing that, and if we've been seeing the kind of results we have been seeing before this podium, then yes, I would predict uh, that that Red Bull would want to do a swap at some point um, in 2020 or 2021. But if he can keep banging in podiums and fourth places, they've got absolutely no reason to let him go. The thing is, though, today still, as Brad says, you know, any other day, that was a P7. At no point was Albon in the pit window to disrupt the Mercedes. And had had Verstappen... No, is that, is that wrong, Matt? Aside from, like, just after a restart. But what the point I'm driving is, if, if Verstappen had been there, you want two Mercs versus two Red Bulls. And that's the situation Red Bull have been lacking. Right. And this is this is where I this is what I feel is getting glossed over a bit sure. because of the safety car incident and the restart incident. But the fact of the matter is he was right there at the start of the race. At the, really start, at the very start. the very start. Standing yeah. restart mm-hmm. that saw him drop to P7. OK. So while I think it's fair to, to say, OK, well, why was your second start so bad? Let's face it. Seconds, how many out of how many races we've watched together have we seen more than one standing start? I'm going to tell you right now, it's two. One was last week, one was this week. (laughs) So I'm not going to, I'm not going to come down on him quite as hard for that. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Brad. The reason I said on any other week, this is a P7 isn't because he was filtered down the field of that second restart. It's because qualifying half a second off Verstappen in lots of other races would mean you were already down the field. So he was just fortunate that the Red Bull was far enough ahead of that midfield group this time that that half a second behind Verstappen still didn't drop him further down the order where other drivers who we're kind of being quite critical of who qualified within half a tenth of yeah. their best qualifier of all time teammates <laughs> yeah. um, you know yeah. they're, they're really really tight and close to their teammates so that's really the main point I'm making is that that qualifying is very important in modern Formula One and it's a very consistent theme that Albon doesn't seem to be getting any closer. Whatever you say about his race, and maybe he has some comments and says, I'm getting to grips with it now. They've made the car more compliant. In qualifying, he is a long... I would only disagree to the extent that if you look at his qualifying time versus Verstappen, it has generally been a diminishing quality over the course of this season. Hey, Matt, we're going to move on to the podium. We're going to give out some awards. There'll be comments of the weeks. Um, I just wanted to stop and say uh, I have enjoyed the other chats we've had this week. So I have enjoyed our chat on the Remain Indoors podcast, where we uh, talk about a lot of stuff from our lives. It's very radio-y. It's a very lifey life life. And this week, uh, the last episode, you brought your friend on, who is uh, somewhat of an ale connoisseur, and you had beer at nine o'clock in the morning i had beer at two o'clock in the afternoon and the show went on for an hour and 20 minutes instead of 40 minutes because that is what beer does to to podcasts it was a sacrifice (laughs) but it's one i made only only in service of the show Please go. Uh, that said, I'm looking forward to making that sacrifice again as soon as possible. Yeah, I know. Uh, in, in case you think me and Matt like are, are very antagonistic towards each other, uh, maybe here, uh, Remain Indoors is a very different prospect. Me and Matt used to do a podcast called Dad Hub uh, years ago, and it's a nice place if you want to just see you know, me and Matt having our normal, almost pub-like dynamic. The other time we had a, a nice chat was the patron-only stream which I think was a success, Matt. Uh, and we have to be clear, like this, it's not like a paywall. It wasn't like extra incredible content that we hold out for the patron-only stream. Yeah, no, it, it's, not, it's not super fantastic stuff that only patrons get. It's literally just 
oh like here's our dirty laundry yeah a little bit and like or maybe i allowed myself to get a little bit even more emotional that's where i had like my proper foot stomp uh, about the perez stuff and we let ourselves burble on and we let ourselves go down tangents and if it doesn't stay on topic we don't care but if you want to get access to that patron only feed patreon.com forward slash missed apex unlike this show which is entirely on rails and never devolves into tangents oh shut up right i'm gonna do i'm gonna do the podium then where's the podium button unbelievable of all the buttons i lined lined up i haven't got the right this is the podium now Right, pretend that was the the podium music. Guys, it was a somewhat different, and I would argue thrilling, Tuscan Grand Prix. Not everyone was happy. I saw some other outlets still described it as a a boring race. Uh, No, I think we saw genuinely good racing. I personally feel like losing eight cars isn't good for a 20-car grid. Uh, It doesn't make for the most exciting races it reminded me of the 90s and that was my fear with an old school track i don't think it was the old school track though in this case you can't account for five cars taking themselves out of the back of the field i'm going to put that down to latifi and a little bit of of inexperience and some extenuating circumstances that we covered but but still that track to me i was expecting nothing my expectations was were low yet we saw something akin to you know like we see on a tight go-kart track where you are able to push, you need to thread the needle very precisely on very tight corners that require you to be you know, good on the accelerator, not so much with the brake pedal. And I wonder if Albon's performance today might have been down to, to less heavy braking zones and a driving style where you needed to thread the needle. Maybe that suited Albon today. But in any case, I have to say I enjoyed my 17 hours of F1 viewing today because I think that's how long the race went, over, went for. Uh, but... Why don't we do some awards? Let's start off with the good thing. Uh, It can be a person, a team. um, It can be an ethereal concept, or it can be an existential struggle. Uh, Christian Peterson, our guest uh, this week, what what was the thing of the weekend for you? Uh, I would say the track. Um, Everything about the track, Mm -hmm. the layout, the race it gave us. uh, Yeah, Mugello. It's a win for you. You'd go back. Definitely, and I hope we will, and I hope it will uh, teach Liberty a thing or two about how to pick tracks that not so many Bakus. I like Baku, but we need some grass and gravel. As much as I, I, I say that you know I, I like modern tracks, and I would like to see new tracks built for F1, maybe learn some lessons from the Tilkadromes. I would still pick any of the old school circuits over any street circuit. I hate street circuits for F1. I don't like Baku. I don't really like Singapore. I think that race dies uh, on its butt. Uh, obviously, you, you know my views about Monaco. Um, but I would take Barcelona, Hungaro Ring, uh, Mugello, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a nice feeling about Imola now as well. I would take all those tracks over any Suka. street circuit. Suzuki, yeah, exactly. I would take any of those, Nürburgring, I would take any of those old school tracks over, over a gimmicky, well, in my eyes, gimmicky street circuit. That, yeah, that is there for just for the people who are watching live. Plus, we learned a, a bit about Camber, I think, uh, how mm-hmm. to the, the talk we had at the start of the podcast. I think uh, this race showed us what uh, what positive Camber can do. Oh, here we go. All right, look, I'm not counting Spa <laughs> as a street circuit chat room. All right, if you want to go to technicalities, that's fine. I'm not counting Spa as a street circuit. I don't really see uh, Montreal as a street circuit either. I think I know what I mean by a street circuit, but... We can have that argument another time. 
Um, where can people find you online, Christian? You are a, a broadcaster. You were a radio presenter as well. You've done F1 commentary. You've done presenting. You've been a morning host on Danish TV. Where can people find you now? Actually, it was an evening host. Oh, but... okay. Sorry. Late, <laughs> potato, late, potato. Night. late night. I, I, I try to keep it uh, relatively... Um... Uh, yeah, um, uh, I keep it private, so I don't oh, okay. have anything basically. Okay, so you'll have to stalk Sorry. him. Just go to where we go, get a boat to Espia, and then just go to uh, exactly, yeah, exactly, go. Copenhagen. You'll meet me. Go to Tivoli. He's on the roundabouts. Um, right, exactly. uh, Brad Philpot, our driver pro. Uh, your thing of the weekend, please. Thing of the weekend is physical track limits. So although there was some <laughs> corner cutting with some of the chicanes, people people saying that the cars were using too much green mm. tarmac and curb in the chicanes, I loved that the gravel dictated the edge of the track in a lot of places and drivers couldn't just drive past the limit and then learn roughly where the limit was. They, they had a, a physical thing, whether it was grass or gravel or a barrier ultimately, which stopped you from going any further. And I just really like uh, yeah, and Brad, uh, you are, when we say you're a racing driver, uh, we're not mucking around like you're a full-on proper racy driver, man. You've been contesting the uh, the VLN at the Nordschleife. You've been a Nordschleife GT specialist uh, driving uh, in, a, in a Peugeot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and you've uh, been... So you, yeah, yeah, won the... Won... Yeah. So I was just going to say, yeah, won the Touring Car Championship at the Nürburgring the last couple of years. That's what you're, that's what you're trying to say, isn't it? Yeah, well, exactly. You've been champion in your class, but obviously uh, finances play a big part in that. And, you know, when you see the Brundles tip up to do, to do VLN, they're in the, like the second class down um, in their Aston Martins and you're in like the fourth class down. Yes, historically that has been the case, although I haven't been racing in, in that this season. Um, the team decided to do a different class and yeah. that kind of thing. So I've been... In the UK this year, and we've only had one race. Yeah, uh, but you know, it, it, unlike others, you know, like football, you being the fourth tier down doesn't mean you're the fourth level of driver. It means that's where your funding was able to take you. Um, so uh, without wanting to embarrass you, we want to get you on the grid on uh, the UK's biggest national uh, car racing platform. And we're not going to say out loud. It's four letters. Starts with B. Just say the word. Oh, right. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say the word. Don't say the word. But we want to get Brad on the grid. And to do that, you need partners, Brad. And so if you are someone who is interested in the very highest level of car racing motorsport, and you would like to get this man on the grid in what I I promise you will be a high profile uh, TV covered event, uh, please contact Brad directly. We are we're talking uh, pocket change, really, compared to most sporting budgets, aren't we, Brad? to get you up there in the in the highest echelons of British motorsport? Yeah, so obviously it's tricky because I have to be a little bit cagey about how much we let on. But mm. yes, you, you've described it pretty well. Um, we're nearly there, actually. Um, and if this, if it happens, then it will be fantastic. So if anybody is interested, if anybody has a, a business which they think would benefit from high-level coverage in a high-end form of motorsport, just get in touch with me. You can find me on Twitter, at Bradley Philpot. You can find me on Instagram. You can email me, brad at bradphilpot.com. Or uh, if you forget all of that, just get in touch with Spanners and I'm yeah. sure he'll pass you Spanners on. Spanners at, at gmail.com. Um, and look, is, this is not like a GoFundMe. This is if you seriously want a partnership in motorsport uh, that I think is great value, do get in touch. It would be great to have one of our mappers on that grid. Matt, two rumpets at mattpt55 on Twitter. All you promote are your wife's mucky books. Amanda Weaver at A Weaver Writes on Twitter. 
now officially part of my karting race suit patches. Uh, I've got a Weaver, Amanda Weaver mucky books as one of the patches on my race suit. What would you give your thing of the weekend to? Well, this is really challenging because essentially we've already had two people say the track and the track was awesome. The setting was awesome. The racing was ace, quite frankly. Uh, so, and there have been, there were so many standout performances, mm. but I tell you what I'm going to do. Yep. I'm going to give it to Alex Albin. And it was close run between that and Hamilton running fast lap right after Botas ran fast lap the last two laps of the race, because that was pretty incredible to watch. But that, that man, because I'll give him that honorific because I think he's old enough to deserve yeah, of it, course. has yeah. been under the kind of pressure that I think for all the people like saying, oh, that's a terrible performance from the moment. He showed up on the grid. Sky have been, in my opinion, beating the drum about how long will he be here? He's not really up to snuff. He's not yeah. up to standard. And despite him not having a full year in the car and barely a full year in entire Formula One, he just like lived through it. He was chill. And today he absolutely did everything that they expected him to do. Max was out. He claimed the best position that Red Bull could have. Yep. And, and he just said, yep, there it is. That's why I'm here. Brilliant. I'm glad you've done that. Thank you very much, Matt. And I'm going to give my thing of the weekend. Genuinely, this is not like a, oh, look what I'm doing to stroll. Uh, because I rate his performance today better than his performance that put him on the podium at Monza. He was absolutely on merit uh, running in fourth place. And so the stroll racing point uh, package today was uh, obviously I wish Perez had the same equipment, but that package was good enough to be running in fourth place um, and could have been there to pick up the pieces today um, had he not had that unfortunate blowout. Uh, something to add to that, Christian? No, no, okay. sorry. I no. was just pinching my head. Sorry. Oh, well, pinching your head is the universal sign that you want to go first for our next award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. It's the bad thing award. We can be super negative. We can sit here in our sheds and studios, having never turned a wheel in a sports car in our lives and pass judgment over sporting professionals. Who missed the apex for you? I mean, they. it was the thousandth Grand Prix and all they did was a Burton D car. And I was like, I mean, this is Ferrari. Yeah. For, I mean... They had all the opportunities, and I know the car ain't the best right now, and peace with that. <laughs> but they could still like embrace it. Uh, Mercedes, Mercedes did more, but the but the uh, safety car than Ferrari did at the race weekend, and and that <laughs> says a lot about that team. And I'm so sad about that. Matt, to be fair, they had flutes and dancers oh. and a whole show devoted to the car. So sure. I don't know what you were talking about. They made every effort to make it a massive, massive celebration. So so you you stole mine. My Miss Apex Award was going to be those those dancers who did that routine around the burgundy car. Like it wasn't No, no you totally take that. I have it over. Oh, okay. It wasn't good. Like it wasn't even nearly good. Like I don't, I don't want to say like performers, <laughs> but like they were obviously doing the choreo choreography that they were told to do. But like Go and watch it. Go and search for Ferrari yes. dancers on Twitter, you and just this. and you've got it's the must see. I, I don't think they they know the the their fans. <laughs> I know it's a little bit hard, but yeah. I don't. I really don't think they know their fans. They all they know is the the rich dudes buying their rich cars, 
and <laughs> and that's just not good marketing. That's just horrible. Oh no, you missed the apex, Brad. So my missed apex, and I don't, don't want to just bring a downer on things, but my missed apex is the gradually slipping COVID protocols, including having uh, a load of fans in the grandstand that were all stood next to each other without masks on. Uh, you're not going to enjoy Sochi then, because I, I think I think they're just going to fully <laughs> like go for it, because the you know in Russia, you know, COVID catches you. Is that is that not, that's how it goes down, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I think that's pretty much the way it works in Russia. (laughs) So I don't think it's going to get better for you, Brad. Uh, Although I'll I'll say again, it does annoy me that you've got the guy in the grandstand on his own wearing a mask, talking through a muffled mask into a microphone. You're on your own outside. That is doing absolutely nothing. If you're stood three metres away from the person you're interviewing, like in the driver interviews, when the guy's on the podium and he's four metres away and, you know, they're all mic'd up and they can all hear each other, you don't need a mask for that. Like, just let us trust you that you're all doing it correctly. Four metres away, that's enough. We don't also need to hear, oh, I did quite well, I've been trying my best. And then constantly pulling it over their nose, uh, you know, with the hand that they've been touching all the railings and everything. Yeah, it just, it doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. Trumpets, who missed the apex for you? Well, this is a challenging one. But really... And despite it's promoting like all the excitement in the race, I got to say that safety car restart did not look very safe to me. No. And I do wonder if the FAA might be, per Brad's recommendations, rethinking how they approach situations like this, at least at tracks that have this particular kind of layout, because no one was really following the rules about the 10 cars. Everyone was trying to seek maximum advantage for their tires and brakes. And it led to, and let's just be honest, thankfully we all had the halos on the car. It led to mm. what could have been a very, very tragic result. Yeah, I've, I've heard a few people, yeah. It was entirely avoidable. So, like, signs is halo. I think that looked, I'm glad that halo was there. He seemed to get right underneath the car, didn't he? And there was cars, like, rising up. So I'm glad the halo was there. Obviously, we, we can never, ever tell what would have happened without that halo uh, there either. Um, I wonder, quickly going around, does anyone have a strong opinion on a, on that roll, if you the choice was that rolling start or a standing start, we've had like five standing starts in the last two races. Do we mind standing starts? Any problem to restarting it with a standing start? Nope. I suppose nope. My, my only objection would be I feel like the last couple of years they have thrown the safety car out much, much easier. And I think that is a Liberty thing, like a Liberty Media thing. I think there is an edict that is if there's any doubt, just throw a safety car out. We only win from a safety car because the the field bunches up. And I think that's a bit of an Americanism, Matt. Uh, let's have Christian then, Matt. I'm pretty sure they have uh, they have numbers showing how it, where people react uh, to, to safety cars in IndyCar and in NASCAR, mm. and they have uh, a lot of uh, media knowledge about that. And it's and you can I mean just one safety car, even if it doesn't matter, if it's just for debris, it's still. You get up in your chair and you get ready for. Well, here's the restart, uh, and I think it's uh, it's it all depends on how you how you did at the restart before if you want a standing restart or a rolling one. Um, I liked the restart because we didn't lose six laps of racing, which we did for the first safety car. I was feeling sick. I was like the laps are chewing by. That's I wait all week for for F one. You wait for Sunday to come around, and then after twenty seconds of action, after two corners. We're sitting there, we lose. I like that we don't lose the laps on a restart. Matt, what's your take on that? Uh, 
yeah, I, I have no particular problem with the safety car or the red flag. I think if you're going to be more than two laps or three at most under a safety car, a red flag is probably a better choice for the exact reason that you mm. mentioned. It just allows the business to get done quicker on track. And I do want to mention that, and this may be a thing that is required of Magello if they go back next yeah. year or in future years. One of the real issues is they only had a, a few access points for the JCP to remove the cars. And so it significantly added to the amount of time it took to clear things. Mm. Yeah. Now, normally you don't have to clear eight cars off a track during a race. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But regardless, that, that was part of the problem. And, and I know that's part of the reason why some people complained about the track. But I think it's something that they could fix for the future. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's my mistake Apex Award now. No, that's fine. No, that is, that's fine. I, I got I got deep into thought about uh, the last time they had to clear that many cars off track. And, you know, and I had thoughts of, you know, cars running, drivers sprinting back to the pits for the T car. You know, who's it set up for? Who's it going to be set up for? Grosjean or Magnussen? Uh, but that was the olden days and they don't do that anymore. Um, my mistake Apex Award, I'm just going to give that straight up to Latifi because I, I think that the, the, the fact that he just, he, pelted past cars before the start finished straight and he's got to have known on some level that he couldn't do that and it was just horrifying seeing a Giovinazzi suddenly have a car appear you know you see Latifi move over and he's thinking right well I'll keep my line because Latifi's moved over and there's a car right in front of him to hit and then Signs going crashing in and you heard from Signs's reaction I I don't believe Signs uh, you know to be somebody who is over exaggerating really but you could see, you could hear the almost shock in his face where he was like, no, this was too far. This was, this was bad. Um, and I'm, I'm going to put that at Latifi's feet until I'm corrected or people say otherwise. Right. One, uh, two more awards. Uh, let's see this one. Daddy, I want the pony. And I want it now. Okay, Brad and Matt have got one. Please don't take mine. Please don't take mine. Go on then, Brad. Okay, I'm sorry if this was yours, but it has to be Raikkonen. Oh, it was like, yes, that was mine. Almost... <laughs> sorry, everyone. That's okay. Um, it, it was one of the most shocking ponies what, I've heard in so quite a bad. long time. It was so bad. Uh, yeah, so, he, yeah he, was, he was asking the, what his uh, penalty was, wasn't it? Yeah. And they didn't yeah, immediately didn't, tell him. Yeah. Why, hmm. why do we have a penalty? And, and the engineer just repeated that, oh, you have a you have a penalty and he went, why? And it was the most angry immediate reaction. And I could feel he was about to say something as the engineer began repeating it back to him. For what? It was almost, you can tell he's old. <laughs> he's cranky. He's 41. He's 41. We, we feel it, but it was so, you know, I know we like to play the game of imagine if Hamilton did it, but geez, you know, but he's still lovable. Kimmy. Still lovable, Kimmy, isn't he? That was horrible. It was shocking. Uh, is that our only pony, Matt? You've got one? I could go for it. And now, to be fair, this isn't technically Formula One, but it did happen on the circuit. Dan ticked him this weekend. <laughs> okay. Explain it to me because I didn't see it. a lifetime pony award. <laughs> okay. For his, his, his radio about how badly life has treated him. No. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry. But I see even chill, Brad chill, nodding chill. in agreement. Yeah, I don't just want to get into Formula 2 and, and derail everything, but and without wanting to just bash the poor guy, because I'm sure he'd had a lot on social media. Formula 2 just kept cutting to his radio. And we obviously know very well someone who's involved with that team. 
and their frustration <laughs> at his constant outburst was yeah. apparent on WhatsApp. Um, and yeah, he, he just needed to wind it in a little. Brilliant. Uh, before we get ourselves into too much trouble then, uh, we've got one award left before we get out of here. Comment of the week. And that is to a wonderful chat room. We've had, uh, con- you have two statistics, the people who jump in in total and the highest concurrent number of people who are here at any one time. Um, we've had 820, I think I've seen, uh, concurrent at one time. It's um, We've had more than that. Is it, Brad? What have you seen on there ticking over? I saw... Eight, three, four. Oh, well, there we go. You know, nearly a thousand people sitting at any one time. And uh, over the course of our two hour stream, uh, we've been getting quite regularly like four and a half, five thousand people tuning in just to watch us live. And that's without the downloaded version. If you're watching live, please also download the podcast. Do, do us a solid. Also download the podcast. That would be absolutely fantastic. Um, thank you, guys. We've been getting regular audiences of twenty five thousand people. Uh, listening to our production i'm absolutely blown away that you guys continue to tune in and you send us such wonderful messages um and you really do keep us going and you keep us company when we press record and we we get we um and we we get chatting in the chat room with you guys too um big thank you as well to our patrons patreon.com forward slash missed apex those of you who aren't patrons just do a big thank you to the patrons because without them there would be no missed apex so if you enjoy this show it exists only because the patrons got us through it, particularly during the COVID lockdown. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex if you want to join my very favourite bunch of people on the planet. Uh, We try and put on some stuff. We've got a private Slack forum that certainly I spend too much time in. Uh, We do our patron-only live stream now as well, some extra content on occasion, uh, and as well you'll remove the ads from the podcast feed too. This is, sorry, I know some people don't like it when we go on about Patreon, Patreon, but um, you know this this is how we survive. And because of you, this is why we thrive. Matt, who are the nominees for Comment of the Week? Well, first and foremost, I do need to mention iHammer and HDR for donating in the Super Chat. Thank you very much, as always. Thanks, bosses. iHammer... No, I was just saying thanks, bosses. I was calling them bosses. Yep, absolutely. iHammer has earmarked his donation for a bottle of mediocre red wine for christian <laughs> but i think we might have to appropriate that for beer for ourselves for a remain indoors no but we can discuss I that will, at a later time christian i will absolutely pass that on um and uh, of course they don't drink wine in uh, in denmark it is all mead um out of the dried skulls of their enemies so we'll provide the funds for that christian thank you very much it's cold mule and we're drunk 80 percent of the time it's cold. You've got it. It keeps your blood. It thins your blood. And Matt, who are the exactly. nominees for comment of the week? First and foremost, perhaps, is M. DeLorean with Ha Ha. It's a tie for third. Classic. Nice. I see what you did there. By the way, I know we say, I know we say uh, Alban, you know, he he's, un, drives under a tie license, but like he was born in London. He sounds pretty English. Like I'm, I'm pretty happy if we say there's four Brits on the grid. Like I'm, I'm not dictating to Alban what his nationality is. But you know we can claim him if you want to claim him for some national pride. We'll have him as well as you, as well as you Thai fans. I think he's flexible like that, and yeah. it's okay. Low stall. What did I do to deserve this? I don't know, Dan. Let's check the archives. Okay. Bit of an in joke, if but if you know F two, like you get it. Okay. Mike Stoner, Botas wanted the opposite of Hamilton, and he got it. Hamilton won the race, and Botas didn't. Yep, that was the opposite. Ouch. Ouch. But true. Stuart Neal, F1 can't afford to race at Magella again. Just think of how much money it will cost to replace all the damage. <laughs> Somebody think of the forklift trucks. 
Indeed. And then we have Sjord Jan Henstra, which I probably butchered, but at least I made an attempt. George has many strong points, just not any earned on Sundays. He'll, he'll come he'll come good. He'll come good. Come on, Matt. Let's get a winner out here. All right. I think it's going to have to be. Oh, man. It's, a, it's so tempting. It's so tempting. But I think we're going to have to give it to M. DeLorean for Ha Ha. It's a tie for third. Classic. Comment of the week. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Missed Apex Podcast. Thank you to the Dane joining us, Mr. Christian Pedersen. Thank you for your time, Christian. Anytime you need me. He doesn't want to be on social media. He's one of those. I bet I bet you he doesn't own jeans as well and says, Do you know, I don't really watch TV, the news occasionally. He's one of those types, I can guarantee it. We've got our driver pro, Bradley Philpot. Follow him by searching for Bradley Philpot everywhere and do get in touch with us if you would like uh, a serious partnership in a top level of motorsport. Get some space on a, 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 on a high-profile vehicle in British motorsport. VIP treatment, of course at the events that goes without saying and if you tell brad that you're thinking of partnering with him because you heard it on missed apex he has to put a small missed apex on the car that was part of our that was part of our deal tiny tiny one he said uh follow my friend matt trumpets at matt pt 55 or search for matt trumpets on facebook you can follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. I'm also on Instagram. You can be my Facebook friend too by searching for Richard Ready. Until I see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex. Oh, Tony's figured it out. He said, uh, Brad, it's banger racing, isn't it? Is it Demolition Derby? Some people call it that. <laughs> it, has, it has had a reputation for that occasionally, but no, definitely not. We can't afford that. It's definitely an elbows out uh, experience, isn't it? Yeah, that's probably, that's more accurate. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.